Please open your Bibles to Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 977. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it is, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is how the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Please join with me in prayer. Father, we come before you and we ask that uh, you would give us um, understanding and insight into your word. And I pray that you would apply it to our hearts, that uh, we might also apply it to our lives and shine for Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. So I have, over the years... Uh, notice that uh, whenever I leave the sermon and head off to a rabbit trail, that your interest uh, in the sermon uh, appears to tick upwards. And uh, I've even had people tell me that they like it when I leave my subject and go on a rabbit trail. And I've wondered why the interest um, in the sermon, uh, your, your interest growing when I go rogue. And I'm guessing that uh, you are all hoping for a train wreck, that I'll get off track, I'll lose my place, and I won't know how to return to the subject. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. I typically write the rabbit trails into my sermons, word for word. So I don't get off track. But I add them in. I let you know I'm going on a rabbit trail because I've noticed you pay attention better. So uh, every preacher worth his salt utilizes rabbit trails from time to time. There are many different advantages for a preacher uh, to chase a rabbit trail uh, here and there. Even the Apostle Paul is known to go down these trails from time to time. And this morning's message is a great example. Paul starts to say something in verse 1, but then abruptly changes direction in verse 2. And he doesn't get back to his original thought until verse 14. So verses 2 through 13 is Paul's version of a rabbit trail. 
Paul lets us know uh, he is ending his rabbit trail in verse 14 by repeating the phrase that we read in verse 1. For this reason, I. In verse 14, he says, for this reason, I bow down my or bow my knees before the Father. And then he proceeds to pray for them. So we can surmise, uh, therefore, that this was his original intention in verse 1 before he interrupted himself. So then the question is, why would Paul interrupt himself? Well, the answer to this question is staring us right in the face if we look down at verse 13 in chapter 3. In verse 13... He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. I have a question for you. Does anybody remember where Paul was when he wrote the book of Ephesians? Anybody? Yeah, I think I heard it. He was in prison. Uh, he was in a Roman jail. He was shackled to two Roman guards day and night uh, near the city of Rome. And he was awaiting uh, trial to appear before Nero, the Roman Caesar himself. You'll also remember that Paul had been the pastor of the Ephesian church for nearly three years Uh, less than a decade earlier. And the congregation in Ephesus and in the surrounding areas obviously still uh, knew him and cared deeply for him as he did for them. And they knew that Paul was languishing in that prison and that they were, uh, of course, rightly concerned for him. So Paul, without any self-pity, told them, even though he was a prisoner in Rome, shackled to these guards night and day, he told them, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. See that in verse 1? He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, normally I'd move on past verse 1 because we have a lot to see in our passage. But we live in such a victim-centered world that I think we should pause uh, and notice that Paul does not utter one word of complaint. He does not see himself as a victim. He is in a Roman jail, but his entire identity is so wrapped up with his belonging to Jesus that he sees himself not as a prisoner of Rome, but as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's almost as if he is glorying in it. You know, he was also in that same Roman jail when he wrote the book of Philippians. And again, in the book of Philippians, no complaining. What do we know about the book of Philippians? What do we most associate with the book of of Philippians? Paul tells us over and again, rejoice. I say rejoice. Um, At the 
in the beginning of chapter 4, he, said, he talks about the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, can be yours. And this is an incredible thing when we think that he is in this dank, dark, damp dungeon or a jail awaiting to stand before crazy Emperor Nero. You know, we also hear him saying in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound I, in any and every circumstances, even in being shackled to Roman guards, that's, I added that in. I have learned the secret of placing, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Isn't that a more healthy way to approach life? To see yourself in relation to Jesus Christ rather than perpetually seeing yourself as a victim? I understand the victim mentality. If, if I was, if I was Paul and in his situation, I would probably be tempted to complain to God. And if I were Paul, I might be saying, as I'm in that jail, I've served you for years, God. I've traveled all over the world to serve you. I've been exposed to dangers. I have lived near poverty and you are repaying me by, by Allowing me to be in jail, uh, chained to two guards? Why are you doing this, God? We don't see Paul saying that. And Paul is not just refraining from complaining uh, and putting up with his circumstances. Rather, he sees God at work in his situation. He sees himself as because, because he belongs to Jesus Christ. He sees uh, his imprisonment as God's will for his life, as what God has called him to do. And so, um, he, uh, he sees God's glory at work in his situation. I want you to look again at verse 13. Uh, at verse 13, he is a willing prisoner of Jesus Christ and he is suffering for the Ephesians because he knows it will result in their what? In their glory. Verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul saw everything in his life in relation to Jesus Christ, his Lord. He's an apostle of Christ. Paul says that he is a servant of Christ. He calls himself a minister of Christ. And here in verse 1, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ. For him, everything um, was in relation to Christ and because of Christ. Once you begin to think of your life in these terms, you can begin to forget about the prison bars and the uncomfortable circumstances because you begin to think in terms of 
God loves me. God has me in his heart. He has my life in his hands. Why do I need to complain? Why, why is it necessary that I have a pity party when God loves me so much? When he is for me, who can be against me? And so we might even be able to respond like Paul. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. But you may say to yourself, well, that's Paul. I'm a sinner. God's allowing bad things to happen to me because of my past. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul confesses that his past is worse than any of yours. There's none of you that have a past that compares to Paul's. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man in 1 Timothy chapter 1. In Acts chapter 8, we read that Paul made havoc of the church, entering the house of every Christian he could find, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And in Acts chapter 9, the Bible says that he was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. And I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. And he essentially says the same thing in the uh, next couple of verses down from our passage. If you want to look in chapter 3, verse uh, 8, I believe it is. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So in spite of all this that he has done, Paul does not let his past nor any of his sins in the present define him or control him. His relationship to Christ shapes and controls his life and outlook despite his circumstances. And so for you, if you belong to Jesus Christ, This outlook is yours as well. Will you believe it? Lloyd-Jones, in commenting on Paul's imprisonment, said, If you belong to Jesus Christ and you see your relationship um, or, or you see your life in relationship to him, even a prison becomes a palace. Lloyd-Jones continues, You are seated in heavenly places, though you may suffer physically. So Paul saw himself as being in chains for Christ and also for Christ's purposes. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. Again, verse 1 to Uh, remind you. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. We know from the book of Acts that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, that he was transported uh, eventually to Rome because the Jews hated him. 
saying that God was send. It, the reason they hated him was he was saying that God was sending him to the Gentiles, and that the Gentiles were just as much a part of God's eternal purposes as were the Jews. In fact, um, their purposes had been uh, melded together in the purposes of God. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's now one body in Jesus Christ. And the Jews hated that. And they hated him because he was saying it. And so they had him thrown in jail. And if Paul would just back off this one aspect of his message and simply preach Christ without singling out the Gentiles, saying things like like we saw over in chapter 2, verse 19, where Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. If he would just back off, talk about Jesus, talk about forgiveness of sins, talk about eternal life. But Paul, you're just going too far when you start saying that the the Jews and the Gentiles uh, in God's plans and purposes have the same purpose. Well, that's he, you can't do that. Uh, he might have been released from prison if he would just back off on that one aspect of doctrine. But instead of backing down, Paul doubles down in chapter 3. This is the reason for Paul's rabbit trail, to assure the Gentiles that they are not second-class citizens in God's eyes, that they are not a plan B in God's purposes, that they are now one body with the Jews in Jesus Christ. Paul so committed to this message that he is willing to joyfully rot in prison on the Gentiles' behalf. This is the meaning of verses 2 through 7, and so, or, or 2 through 6. So I will read this. Um, I'll read where his, picking up with verse 2, where his rabbit trail um, begins, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known uh, to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, and this is important, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that is why Paul goes off on this rabbit trail, to let the Gentiles know that they are, as he says, fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the same promise in Jesus Christ. Now, we saw this word mystery pop up three times in this uh, short passage. The word mystery is not as mysterious as it 
might seem. Uh, By using this word, Paul is not saying that God's plan was vague or unclear or since they're starting to put out the Halloween candy. It's not spooky. Uh, Rather, the way that Paul consistently uses the word mystery is that it is something that the human mind cannot attain to uh, by its own unaided effort. It must be revealed by the Holy Spirit. So Paul uses this word mystery uh, typically to speak of the revelation of the gospel. But in this passage, he's speaking specifically about God's eternal plan to make the Gentiles, as we saw in verse 6, fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Jesus Christ. So this is a glorious truth that God has revealed in Christ through the preaching of the New Testament apostles and prophets. So this is Paul's message in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It's a rabbit trail, it's part of his rabbit trail, to encourage the Gentiles not to lose heart because of Paul's imprisonment. So to conclude the sermon, I want to return to a point that I made earlier, because we need to know the method that Paul used to encourage the Gentiles. Because that's what he's doing here. He's not just refraining from from a pity party and saying anything negative about his circumstances, but he's teaching these Ephesians uh, how to be encouraged when you're going through difficult circumstances or they see Paul going through these circumstances and he's teaching them uh, how to how to live in encourage in discouraging times that's pretty relevant to us isn't it we're living in pretty discouraging times ourselves how can we possess a joyful trust in Jesus Christ while the moral structures of our society are collapsing around us How can we not lose heart when everything around us seems to be changing for the worst very rapidly? Well, Paul doesn't tell the Ephesians to buck up. He doesn't tell them to grin and bear it. He doesn't tell them to pray about it and ignore it. What Paul's method, or, or what is Paul's method for being encouraged in discouraging times? I've already said it. It bears saying again and again. He sees himself in relationship to Jesus Christ. In other words, he starts with Christ. He sees his life through his relationship with Jesus. When you belong to Christ, you know that God loves you and that he has loved you from eternity past. When you belong to Jesus Christ, we, you know that he sent his only beloved son into our world to die for sinners like me. And he's dying not just for your sins. He came and he died for you in your place as your substitute. 
You know that, that God is wisely and lovingly shepherding you when you see yourself in relation to Jesus Christ. Even when your past and your present is exceedingly difficult, I know God is for me. I know that He has promised to lead me into those green pastures beside the, the still waters because He loves me. Even if your immediate future looks bleak, if you are in Jesus Christ, you can know that there is an expiration date on your suffering, that eternity and glory awaits you, that life is short, but eternity is long. See, I think where we get off track is when we try and approach our suffering like the world approaches it. People, the world typically starts with themselves, and then they try and make uh, sense out of their circumstances or their suffering, but they begin with themselves and look outward toward their suffering. But that, pro- that approach will always lead to frustration and greater despair because it is foundationless. If you don't look to God first, then maybe there is no purpose in your suffering. Maybe your suffering won't end. Maybe um, you just may even get worse than where you are. But if you start with God... Or let me say it this way. Let me back up a second. If you see your life without viewing it through the lens of the gospel and your relationship to God, you are setting yourself um, up for ongoing discouragement. There's no off-ramp when you start with yourself. Whatever your circumstances, whatever your suffering, whatever your discouragements that you are facing, start with Christ. Start with God and the gospel. Remind yourself of what you know about Him. Remind yourself of His exceeding glory. Remind yourself of His power, His wisdom, and His grace. Remind yourself of His great and precious promises that are yours in Jesus. What I'm urging you to do is put your faith into action. Cast the anchor of your faith into Jesus Christ and keep it there. See yourself and see your life through Christ and his gospel for you as we pray together. Lord Jesus, we saw... Paul's method um, in action here in this passage as he is encouraging the Gentiles. Lord, we are living in times where we need encouragement as well. Help us to look to Jesus and keep our gaze fixed there upon him. And so have that foundation of your love for us, your saving grace for us, your great and precious promises that are yes in Christ. 
Lord, I pray especially for those who are downcast and discouraged. Lift them up through the gospel. Lift them up through remembering who you are. Lift them up through remembering your great love for them. Amen.